So we're in a series here on Sunday mornings called Critical Conversations. And in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at some of the last teachings of Jesus that he gives to his closest disciples before he's executed. It's the night before he dies, and he has his, he's been with these guys for three years. He only has hours left for some critical things to tell them before he gets arrested and then executed on a Roman cross the next day. These conversations are not only critical for Jesus' followers, but they are also critical for us today as well. No matter where you're coming from or where you are in your journey with the Lord, uh, these things are really helpful for all of us. Uh, maybe you're here today and uh, you're, uh, you're not, you haven't yet given your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you uh, are just in the beginning stages of understanding who Jesus is as the Savior. Well, as we're talking about these critical conversations, I think that this is very helpful to help explain what is central to following God and to knowing who God is. Uh, maybe, on the other hand, you have been around church for years and years and years, and this series kind of takes us back to the basics. It helps remind us of what's kind of at the core of following Christ and who the Lord is. It kind of takes us back to what is really central and crucial in life. Uh, in order to kind of get us thinking about the setting of our text that we're going to be looking at this morning, I have a picture of a model uh, of some houses in Jerusalem and what they would have looked like in Jesus' day. Now, uh, this kind of gives us a little bit of an idea of where the disciples are when this conversation takes place. Uh, they're in a house like one of these. They are in this upper room, and they're having their, their last supper together. At the end of this passage that we're going to be looking at today, Jesus and his men are going to leave this upper room. They are going to make their way to the outskirts of the town through this wind, the winding streets. They're going to go uh, in, down into this valley. They're going to come back up the other side of the valley. They, they are going to end up in this olive orchard, the olive orchard called the Garden of Gethsemane. And it is there that Jesus is going to be arrested. And so this is the last conversation that takes place here at this Last Supper. Now, around the table are 11 disciples with Jesus. The guys uh, that are there are Peter and Andrew, James and John, Thomas, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, uh, Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot. Eleven disciples. You say, well, I thought there were twelve. <laughs> there were twelve. Uh, one of them had actually left the meal at this point. Judas had left. He had gone out into the night. He had headed to the house of the high priest. And he was going to tell the high priest, guess what? I know where you can find him. I know where he's going to be. <laughs> People were going to be lighting torches. They were going to be grabbing swords. They were going to be uh, grabbing clubs. And they were going to come and find Jesus and arrest him. That is happening as Jesus is saying these things. As Jesus is speaking. At the Last Supper, uh, Jesus drops this bomb where he says, You know what? I'm going to be going away. And the place where I'm going, you can't come. I, I'm going to be going somewhere and you guys aren't going to be coming with me. 
I want you to see this, what Jesus says. This is John chapter 13 and verse 33. And Jesus is talking to these 11 disciples and he says this. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus talks about how he is leaving, and it's like he says, he's, he's talking to his kids here. He, he is, uh, they're, they're not ready for him to leave. He says, little children, in a little while, I, I'm not going to be around anymore, and you can't come to where I'm going to be going. Listen, they never imagined that they were going to be continuing this journey without him. When I was in grammar school, I had a good friend by the name of Brad Larson. Now, I, I grew up on a farm just outside of this town, this small town called Marshallville, Ohio. And uh, Brad, he lived just two blocks on the inside of the city limits. And so this is not a big town. In fact, you might not even call it a town. It's like a little village. It's like 700 people in this place. Where I grew up, uh, the way I grew up, there was plenty of work to do. I mean, even when we didn't have a lot going on, and even when uh, times were slow, even on days where it rained and you would think you didn't have anything that you could really do out in the fields, we always had projects that we were constantly working on. Uh, because we, had, um, we, we didn't have a lot of time, because we were working all the time, we did not have a lot of time to go and hang out with our friends. I, I didn't have a lot of friends over to my house, and I didn't get to go over to their house a lot of times. But there were times uh, throughout the year where we would make it a point to be allowed to get together with our friends, where our friends would come over, or we would go to our friend's house and hang out with them. And the person that a lot of times I was hanging out with was Brad Larson. We also went to school together, and so we were uh, around each other a lot during the school year. And... Brad and I became really, really close friends. Brad was a pretty athletic guy. I mean, he loved sports just like I love sports. And, and so we would play sports together all the time. We played basketball and football. We played baseball and soccer. We would go and ride our bikes together. We would wrestle with each other. We would build these little forts in our barn. We would dream about what life was going to be like when we grew up. We just loved hanging out together. We just loved us having a good time with each other. Now, Brad's dad was a pastor. Uh, the way things worked in our family when I was growing up is that we always made our church a priority. In fact, my dad would say things like, you know what, uh, listen, when the doors of our church are open, the Kreider family is going to be there. And we were there on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. If there was a missions conference that we were having at our church in the evenings, um, we were there every night of missions conference. We were there on work days. We were there whenever the doors of the church were open. And so we, we were in, uh, when we were uh, going to church, we, would, we, would, um, we, we often would not uh, go to, well, we wouldn't go to other, other churches uh, too often, but Occasionally, our church wouldn't be doing something. And so what we would do is uh, Brad's church would, maybe they would be having something uh, special on a special night. And I would get to go with Brad's family and get to go hang out at their church and to go to that special activity together. 
my point here is that Brad and I were really, really close friends over the years. We had this deep and growing relationship together. But then one day, we were in fifth grade, and Brad and his family moved away. Brad's dad uh, got a job uh, about an hour away in Parma, Ohio, and so their family moved. You know, I I think about after that and how I would find myself uh, driving past Brad's house, where he used to live. Brad's family wasn't there anymore. And it was kind of this strange feeling uh, to, to see different cars in the driveway, to see a different family coming in and out, you know, playing out in the yard, to, to see new landscaping. I really missed Brad when he moved away. You know, I think about this good friend who moved just an hour away. But then I think about these disciples and what they're going to experience after an arrest and a crucifixion, and a resurrection, and an ascension, because they never imagined what life was going to be like. They never imagined having to take this journey, to continue this journey without Jesus. And so in John chapter 14, this last conversation that Jesus has with him, with with these disciples, they are still at the Last Supper. It's before they leave the house, before they walk to the outskirts of the city, across the valley, and up into this olive orchard where he's going to be arrested. This is the last conversation where Jesus is kind of preparing them for his absence. And the question on the table this morning is this. How in the world are they ever going to survive without him? How are they ever going to make it when he's not there with them? If you have a Bible with you this morning, you can grab one in the pew rack in front of you, open that Bible app, but I want to invite you to join me in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Now, there there are two themes that we see here in this text this morning. So John chapter 14, uh, beginning in verse 15 and following, and, and I just want, the first thing that I want us to see here that Jesus talks about with his disciples As he says, listen, I'm going to leave, but somebody else is coming to take my place. The first theme just has to do with the Holy Spirit. And uh, he says, "I'm, I'm going to go, but the Holy Spirit is going to come and the Holy Spirit will replace me. The Holy Spirit will take my place. Number one is about the Holy Spirit here. Here's what we read beginning in verse 15. It says, uh, Jesus and his disciples, they're here in the upper room. Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because they neither see him nor know him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Uh, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit here, and he says, listen, you know what? I'm going back to the Father, but when I go back to God the Father, I am going to ask that he would send another helper, the Holy Spirit. And he calls the Spirit, the Holy Spirit here, he calls him the Spirit of Truth. Now, the word helper here, what does that mean? (laughs) Uh, different translations, they have different words here for this. Uh, maybe if you're reading in a different translation, you might read something like another advocate or another comforter, another counselor. In the English Standard Version, it, it, you read the word helper here. 
And you might be wondering, well, why all of these different words from all of these different translations for this word helper here? Well, it's because this word is so big, it's so, it, it encompasses so many different things. And, and I think, though, the primary idea here is someone who kind of comes alongside in order to offer guidance and to offer wisdom, to offer courage, and to offer strength. It, it is basically saying, you know what, you're not alone. Someone is going to be with you. Here, Jesus doesn't just simply say, I will ask the Father and he will give you a helper. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Because the first helper was him, Jesus, right? And he says, you know what? I have been here to give you guidance and I've been here to give you courage. I've been here to give you strength. I've been here to lead you and to give you wisdom. Men, I'm going away. But someone else is coming to take my place, the Holy Spirit. And, how the Holy, and, and now the Holy Spirit is going to come and he is going to give you everything that you need. He is going to give you wisdom and courage and strength. You are not alone. I am going away, but someone else is taking my place. Now, I, I want you to just see something in uh, verses 16 and 17 that I think uh, rather important here. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Now, friends, in this one little section, there is something that we see that has been talked about by Christians throughout the centuries and described as the Trinity. Now, there are critics who would say things like, you know, the word Trinity is actually not in the Bible, and uh, th that, that word doesn't even exist. It's just, words that, it's just a word that theologians have come up with. They are right, but theologians are, uh, have come up with this word to kind of describe what it is that we see over and over and over again in the scriptures. It is this mystery of one God, and yet in three distinct persons. Now, um, maybe you've heard this before, but I, I just want you to kind of visualize this once, okay? So we have the Father, and we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. All right? And so there's this distinction between them. And yet there is also this connectedness between the Father and the Son, between the Holy Spirit. There is this connectedness between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what we see here, what Jesus says here in this verse, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. You see them all right here together in this one little section here, right? Another example of this distinction between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, it's seen in the, the scene of the baptism of Jesus. So John the Baptist, he is out in the desert, he is out in the wilderness, and he is baptizing people. And we read that Jesus goes down to be baptized by John. Matthew chapter 3 is where we read about this, and in verse 16, it says that Jesus walks down, he gets into the water, 
And it says this, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending upon, uh, descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so there at the baptism of Jesus, we have God the son. And he is in the water. The Spirit of God, God the Spirit, is uh, descending like a dove. He comes to rest upon Jesus. And then it says that God the Father says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And this event then launches the public ministry of Jesus. It's God who is three distinct persons in one. It's this mystery in many ways. It is three in one. In verse 17, again, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, this is a huge, huge deal. In the Old Testament, before the coming of Jesus, you see the Holy Spirit is with people, that he comes upon people. You see as well, though, that he doesn't permanently stay within people. In the Old Testament, there is maybe a king or maybe a prophet or maybe a general who would have the Spirit of God come upon them. And it says the Spirit of God came upon this person for a leadership responsibility or maybe to give a prophecy or to uh, offer some wisdom in a battle. But the idea here is that once this task, this leadership responsibility is over, the spirit would then leave and the spirit would uh, come again at maybe another time, a different time. Jesus, in this critical conversation that he's having with his disciples, says, guys, you know what? There's something new that is going to happen here. That the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is not simply going to come upon you and then just leave you. But the Holy Spirit is going to be sent and the Holy Spirit will be in you, will dwell in my people. Now, what I find fascinating is that Jesus talks about this a little bit more later on in this series of conversations that he's having with his disciples. We're in chapter 14 right now, but just a couple of chapters later in chapter 16... Jesus is also going to talk about the helper again. He's going to talk about the Holy Spirit again. And in chapter 16, Jesus says, you know what? Listen, it is important for me to leave because if I don't leave, then the Holy Spirit's not going to come. The Holy Spirit is really essential for you, for your life. Chapter 16 and verse 7 of John, Jesus says this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says, it is for your good that I'm leaving, because unless I leave, the Holy Spirit will not come. Jesus seems to be implying that they are going to be better off with the Holy Spirit than they are with him. Because the Holy Spirit will be in the followers of Jesus Christ. Will provide wisdom and courage and strength and many other things. He will be in you. 
Again, in chapter 16, and this time verse 14, Jesus says this, He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What Jesus is expressing here is that the Holy Spirit doesn't have his own curriculum. The Holy Spirit doesn't have his own agenda. The Holy Spirit doesn't have his own plan. Jesus says, listen, when the Holy Spirit, when the Helper comes... He will bring glory to me because he is going to take the information that I give him and is going to transmit it to you. The Holy Spirit does not have his own agenda. The Holy Spirit does not have his own curriculum. In fact, part of the beauty here is that Jesus, when he was here on this earth, he says, you know what? I'm only telling you what the Father has told me to tell you. He says many times, he says, you know what? These words are not my words, but they are from the Father. And I am, what I am saying here, I am saying in order to glorify and honor the Father. But now with the sending of the Holy Spirit, he says, by the way, the Holy Spirit is not going to come up with his own material. He's not going to say whatever he feels like saying. He is only going to say the things that I tell him to say. And then as well that the the Father is the one who sends the Holy Spirit. And so we we see this unity working together. You know, um, we have this honor of Jesus saying, you know, I want you to see the Father. And the Spirit saying, I want you to see Jesus. And Jesus says, I will glorify the Father. And the Father says, I will glorify the Son. There is this beautiful interwoven connectedness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that they are three and yet they are one. And they are all about each other. And there is this honor and there is this love and there is this support and they are not competing for attention and they are not competing against each other. Back to John chapter 14 and verse 18. Jesus would say this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You know, in the first century, if you had lost your mom or your dad, you would become an orphan. And if you're like six years old or eight years old and you had lost your parents and you didn't have any protective relatives around, you would have to go and live out on the streets. And you could be very easily victimized. And Jesus tells his disciples, you know what, I'm going away. And the place where I'm going, you cannot go. But he says, you know what, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you living out on the streets like orphans. He says, I will come to you. And when he says, I will come to you, he's talking about the Holy Spirit living inside of them. He is talking about the presence of the Spirit actively involved and inside of them. I will will come back in the person of the Holy Spirit. I will not abandon you. I'm not going to leave you alone. I, I am leaving you. But someone else is coming to take my place. The helper, the advocate, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Very soon, they're going to stand up from this meal. They are going to head out the door. They're going to make their way through the narrow city streets. They're going to go outside of the city. The question is, is there anything else that they really need to hear in this moment? Because uh, really the question is, you know what? What are they going to do without him around? How are they supposed to make it if Jesus is gone? 
Well, number one is the Holy Spirit. That's the first theme that he talks about. Someone is coming to take his place. But there's something else here, and this is very heavy, and this is very serious here. Number two, Jesus talks about the relationship between love and obedience. Jesus says over and over and over again to his disciples, he says, do you love me? And they say, yes, we love you. Lord, you know that we love you. He says, well, you need to do then what it is that I've instructed you to do. Theme number two is this connection between love and obedience. And there is this inner, this interwoven here in this uh, conversation. And uh, so what I want to do is just kind of pull out a few verses, verses 15, 21, and 24. I want you to just see these all at once here. And so we're, we're going to read them all together here. But Jesus says this, beginning in verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then verse 21 Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he, is, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 24. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. In this very short section... While he's talking about the Holy Spirit here, he talks about this interconnectedness between love and obedience. Guys, if you love me, then you're going to do what it is that I'm asking you to do. You're going to do what I have commanded. What, what he's talking about is this connection between love and obedience. And, and so I, I want us to just talk about this for a moment. What are some things that Jesus has commanded? I want you to just think about some of the individual commandments that Jesus gave. Uh, maybe you're taking some notes. You could write these things down on a piece of paper. Maybe I'm sure there's lots of things that we could write down and think about. But let me just mention a few of them to you here today to just kind of get us thinking about this. What about love your enemies? <laughs> Jesus says, I want you to find new and creative ways to love people who aren't very nice to you. You say, well, I really don't like that one. Jesus says, well, do you love me? Then find new and creative ways to be kind to people who aren't very kind to you. Or, or what about this one? Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Well, you don't realize, you don't know this guy. I mean, he is a really, a really big jerk. And you never are. You never could be. I, I mean... How do you want people to treat you when you fall flat on your face? Uh, you, you, don't, you, you don't think it'll ever happen to you. How, how do you want people to treat you when you blow it in maybe a really big and public way? There is a time when Jesus is talking about honoring your father and mother. He's not talking about obeying your parent, kids, little kids, obeying their parents at home. The way that Jesus applies this is he's talking about middle-aged adults. And he's talking about how they would uh, care for an aging parent. Honoring an aging mom or an aging dad. Do you find that to be challenging? I mean, particularly if you grew up in an environment where there was a lot of belittling or there was a lot of neglect or abuse. What does it mean to honor a dad who seems to be angry all the time? 
Or a mom who might be belittling to you all the time. You say, well, you know what? You can just count me out on that one, God. Well, do you love me? Because if you love me, then I need you to do what I'm asking you to do. In the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus gave a lot of very basic principles about what it means to be a part of his kingdom and to reflect him. One of the things that he talks about is money and how we handle our money. He says, you know what? No one can serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money at the same time. They're going to compete for your dreams. They're going to compete for your time. They're going to compete for your allegiance. You cannot serve both of them. You're going to have to choose. It's either one or the other. And what a challenging conversation to think about in our culture today, right? Here, Jesus and his disciples are. They're about to get up from the Last Supper. They're about to head to the outskirts of town. And Jesus says, listen, I am leaving you, but the Holy Spirit is going to come. He is going to be your guide. He is going to offer you wisdom and strength and courage. But guys, if you really love me, then you need to do what it is that I'm asking you to do. I've got a question for you. How, how and when do you feel close to God? When do you feel close to God? You know, you think about that, maybe you say, you know, I feel close to God when I'm at a worship service. When I get to sing about the mercies and the grace and the goodness of God, that is when I feel closest to God. That's great, but I want you to think about when does he feel close to you? For you, maybe you feel like you love God so much when you are at a worship service that you just are overwhelmed by uh, his love for you. But I, I find it interesting here what Jesus says. He says, I know that you love me when you do what it is that I'm asking you to do. Maybe you feel the love of God when you're just outside in nature. I mean, you're walking out in the woods you're, you're in your backyard, you're sitting there, you're just enjoying creation, you're enjoying the birds chirping, and you're standing on a beach. Just seeing the vastness and the beauty of creation gives you this overwhelming sense of God's love. That's great, but when does he know that you actually love him? Jesus didn't say, you know what, if you love me, then sing your heart out. If you love me, then go out walking in the woods somewhere. He says, if you love me, then I need you to do what I'm asking you to do. I need you to obey. This is so important for us. Because it is possible to attend a worship service like this and to feel really close to God. But then to just leave this place. To know that God is calling us to do something. And then to say, you know what, that's just too complicated. That's too hard. I'm not going to do it. In that moment... We can, deserve, we can deceive ourselves. We can begin to think that we're somehow close to God when we're really not all that close to God. We feel his love, but does he really feel our love? You say, well, you know what? I, I really feel and I know that I know the love of God. And when I, when I think about the crucifixion, that is the thing that kind of, it just most helps me to know the love of God. That the perfect, sinless Son of God would come and He would sacrifice His life. That He would come and pay for my sin. That is when I feel the love of God the most. 
You know, you should feel God's love when you think about the crucifixion. It is a great thing to uh, contemplate and to consider and to, to uh, reflect on. But when does he feel your love? Over and over and over again in the scriptures, what we see is that he says, I need you to do what I'm asking you to do. You know, um, a kid downstairs in the basement, and he's busy. He's on his Xbox. Uh, mom's upstairs. She, she, she yells down and she says, Bud, I need some help. Uh, can you come up here and help me? And he says, yeah, in a minute. Fifteen minutes pass. Uh, she goes downstairs. She looks around the corner of the family room and she says, hey, bud, um, you know, there are some people who are coming over today. Dad's not home yet. Uh, we have some work that needs to get done. Could you come upstairs and uh, help me around the kitchen? He says, yeah, okay. Another 15 minutes pass. Mom yells from upstairs, hey, bud, bring the vacuum cleaner up to me. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Fifteen more minutes pass. She comes back downstairs. She says, hey, I'm going to run out to the store to go get a few things. Um, I'm going to be back in a few minutes. He says, okay. Love you, mom. Really? Does that kid really love his mom? I, I just have a simple question here. And the question is, uh, what area of your life has your gracious God been speaking to you and you've been saying, you know what, okay, in a minute or later, and you're not even budging. And at what point is okay or in a minute or later really just mean, no, I'm not doing it. In this critical conversation, Jesus says to his guys, you know what, if you love me, then I need you to do the things that I've been talking to you about over the last three years. I need my ways to become your ways. And, and this is how you will demonstrate your love for me. This is an important question for us to think about today. Are there areas in your life where you've been saying, okay, or in a minute, or later, or just flat out no to the Lord because it just seems too hard. It just seems too complicated to do. Maybe you're here this morning and you're looking at all these things that God is asking you to do. And you're saying, Jason, you just don't understand. I can't do this. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the strength. I don't have the courage in order to implement this change that needs to be taking place in my life. Well, what I hope that you see today here in this text is that the helper was sent for that very reason in the first place. You know, you, you read through this text and Jesus says, you know what, if you love me, then you're going to obey me. The person who does not obey me does not really love me. And then he says things like, you know what, I'm going to send the helper and I won't leave you as orphans. He will come and he is going to live inside of you. Now, you might read through that and you say, okay, Jesus, it seems like you're kind of all over the place here. Where are you going with all of this? But I think that what Jesus is saying here is, you know what? As a follower of the Lord, I want you to obey what I am telling you to do. And the Holy Spirit, I am sending the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, to give you the wisdom and the counsel and the guidance, the strength and the courage that you need. 
Jesus did not send the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish your programs, in order to accomplish your agenda. The Holy Spirit was sent in order to be a guide for you and for me in order to accomplish his mission and his agenda and his program here in this world. So friends, I, I think that something that, that, that is very challenging here for us to think about. We want all of God, but often maybe without letting God have all of us. I firmly believe that these two topics, they come together, they are intertwined with each other in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit, it is love and obedience. These two things, they come together, and uh, what happens is that as I increasingly, every day, give every part of my life over to God, that he is pleased to then give me counsel and guidance and wisdom and strength and courage through the Holy Spirit. And in the process, I become the person that he has then created me to be. A person who is patterned after the heart and the image of Jesus Christ, who is the perfect reflection of God the Father. And it is made possible through the strength and the guidance of the Holy Spirit at work in my life. One of the most powerful things that we can do is we can say yes to the Lord, that we can follow, obey him wherever it is that he leads us. Because as we move, he provides the wisdom. He provides the strength and the courage that we need. He loves to give us good gifts. As we come to a close here this morning, I just want to ask a couple of questions for you to consider here. First of all, is there any area in your life where your gracious God has been telling you to do something and you've just been saying, okay, later, in a minute. Really, what you mean is just no. Is there an area in your life where you are just realizing that, you know what, if loving God means that I'm going to obey him, then I, I, don't, I haven't really been showing that I've loved him because I'm not obeying him. What area is that? Uh, does it have to do with maybe anger? Does it have to do with bitterness? Does it have to do with anxiety? I mean, I know we have a lot of anxiety in our culture and world today. Is it power? Is it money? Is it habits? Is it behavior? What is that area that God is asking you, calling you to make some changes, to repent maybe of something? And then secondly, and I think this is possibly even more important, is what step can you take? Uh, over this, not, not, not in the next month or maybe a week from now or, or a year from now or something like that. What I'm ta talking about here is in the next 24 hours, what is a step that maybe you could take in this? Maybe you need to write to someone or maybe you need to call someone or talk to someone. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you need to seek some godly counsel and advice from a godly person. Maybe you need to seek the Lord in prayer. Maybe you need to do all of those things. Our gracious God, he longs to come to the aid of his children. He longs to give us strength and courage and wisdom. And he asks us to obediently follow him. And when we follow him, he says he's going to give us everything that we need along the way. Let's pray.